Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan. Welcome to Armagh Eyes Sports Podcast, The Eye on the Ball. This is your host, Elaine Ingram. For this week's podcast, I travelled to Portadown to meet with Jamie Smith. At 16 years of age, Jamie was a hugely promising football player. He played for Glenavon and was on the cusp of getting onto the senior team when his life began to spiral out of control. Jamie began gambling and things went from bad to worse. Gambling took over every aspect of his life. And it all culminated in two failed suicide attempts. Jamie almost didn't make it to his 24th birthday a few weeks ago. But he managed to overcome his demons and he's here to tell the tale. In this searingly honest account of the seven years that he's gone through, Jamie sat down with me and laid everything out on the table. By telling his own story, Jamie has a powerful message to send out to anybody who's in the same position that he was in. Jamie, it's really, really nice to meet you. So just tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you, I know you started your, you played football when you were younger for a lot of big names, a lot of good teams. And um, tell us um, what happened to stall your footballing career, which was, you know, going really well by all accounts. So yeah, I was, I was, um, I was playing for, from a young age, from as, for many I was able to walk, I was out playing. Um, I was started off at, at Portadown Youth, having played right my way, my days through there. Um, had a, a spell at Dungannon United Youth at the time and was pretty successful there. And that led into um, appearing for County Armagh um, at the Milk Cup and the Milk Cup squad, uh, under 16s I think it was. Uh, again, that was a really successful period. We we beat Liverpool that week. Um, and yeah, things were going really, really well. Came off the back of that and was playing reserve team football at the time at Portadown um, and I got the chance to go to Glenavon to initially go and play in the reserves and potentially um, if things went well break into to the first team um, things were going really really well there I was a striker so I was scoring, scoring lots of goals and things were going really really well um, off the pitch they weren't going maybe as well as what they should have been um, I was probably not struggling as much mentally at this stage but you know gambling had taken a hold and really after Glenavon at 18-19 it didn't quite work out so I stepped away um, and I signed for Anna United um, at that time who were in Championship 2 um, and played there for I suppose it was about 18 months um, and, and again I never really kicked on there either although we got promotion to Championship 1 and probably struggled really to, to make an impact my, just, my head wasn't in it um, a lot of the other things going on that I'd rather focus on and rather rather be doing really than playing football and I left there um went to Bambridge Town for a short spell um and then ended up the following season at Donningstown and again similar to the last couple of clubs within a couple of months 
the sort of the interest and the bounce you get when you go to a new club it sort of it just left left me and and i i within a couple of months had had walked away and at that point um at dollingstown just decided to to walk away from the game and so what exactly was it that happened you know how did you start getting interested in gambling in the first place i mean you were very young so yeah, for 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 gambling, um, family has been linked to to football in the area for um, years, going back to my grandfather, um, who played in England and came across and played here in the Irish League and and had a, a pretty successful career. So I, I always had had links here. So from an early age, I, I grew up. Um, he would have brought me to watch watch my dad and my uncle play, and I would have been in that environment of of you know around football clubs and and in changing rooms from a very young age and. I suppose I picked up on things that you, you maybe shouldn't do as a as a, a twelve or thirteen year old. I just always remember thinking at thirteen, being absolutely fascinated with people placing bets. Um, you know, people coming in after the match and checking their bets, and I just always used to think, how can you be? How can you lose all the time? It must be just so easy. So I remember saying to myself at twelve, thirteen, once I'm big enough to to not get ID'd in a shop, I'm going to go and place a bet. And really from there, it was just about biding my time until I was sort of um, old enough and, and ugly enough, if you like, to be able to go and to go and do that. You've you've decided now, you know, that you've come out now and you've come out into the open about all of this. You know, what made you what made you stop in the first place and what made you come out and speak about it? I think, you know, I gambled pretty hard for seven years from from really 16 right through till to last um December uh, so seven years of really hard gambling and and in the end the last 12 to probably 12 months it just took its toll mentally it completely destroyed me mentally um physically my appearance changed dramatically in a short space of time because I was you know comfort eating I'd stopped playing football obviously um drinking heavily just to try and escape that feeling of of getting away from the gambling and yeah it just came to a head in December I had two failed suicide attempts in December um at the very start December the first was the first one um, on a Tuesday um and then I had a car crash um that I deliberately went out and got um you could say quite drunk and and try to take the, the the vehicle off the road to try and end it myself um. So two failed suicide attempts and, and, you know, a couple of days after the, the crash, um, I went out to the scene where the crash was. Um, my girlfriend took me out. Um, I had very minor, minor injuries, you know, really scratches, not even bruises. And stood in the field that day at the crash and realised how lucky I was still to be here. Um, and that I just had to open up. An epiphany. It was, um, it was just a, the emotion that came inside that, that time inside a couple of seconds it was like seven years of guilt just just hitting you at one time um the people you let down the amount of money that you'd lost um you know the lies that you told the relationships that you ruined and and everything else and it was just then it was you know i've got somebody somewhere has given me a second chance at life um and i now have to go and get myself sorted out most importantly and you know even at that stage i thought you know potentially there's there's somewhere down the line where i can help people but you've got to go and get yourself sorted out so that was essentially like the the you know hitting rock bottom for you and you know something just happened there a switch turned on and you decided that you really didn't want to end your life and you really really wanted to change and turn things around yeah it was just it was just at that you know it's hard to describe seven years of 
of guilt, seven years of telling lies to people and covering things up, you know, not to even mention the amount of money that was lost um, and the amount of time that was lost and time that was spent um, between, you know, researching vets, watching whether it be horse races or, or roulette wheels spinning. Um, you know, I, I just knew then that I have a, I have a chance. This, this might be the only chance I get now to, to sort of put myself on the straight and narrow. And then it was automatically thinking right if i get myself sorted i can help other people because surely i'm not the only one that's in this position you know surely i'm not the only person that's suffering not the only person that's had a failed suicide attempt um because of gambling and and and, you know problem gambling in particular so yeah it was just a chance then to try and i suppose get my life back on track and and probably start living again because i haven't lived since i was 16 you know on my 18th birthday i I set up that night turning 18 not to, to get a present or a legal pint as some might do. Mine was to be able to open a betting account. Um, and that night I opened, I think, three or four betting accounts and was able to deposit a couple of hundred pounds in them. And from there, it just really, it really took off. Um, and that just became my life. You know, the last five or six years have felt at times like a blur where days have rolled into days and weeks rolled into weeks. Um, and the only focus I've had day to day at times has just been you know, the next whistle in a football game or the next the next trap to open on a dog to come out or the next spin on a roulette wheel. So um definitely this is this is this is me living my life now for the last seven months and it's it's something that I'm enjoying immensely. Do you think um these days like it's so much easier? Like you said when you turned eighteen there, you were able to, you know, get online for you know, get for gambling. It's it's so available now. Do you think a lot of young it seems to be young men particularly, um you know they're attracted by this it's so easy you don't even have to go into a betting shop you can just switch on your phone 24 7 you know it's it's so available is this do you think this has become a real problem massively i think there's a there's a major pandemic and i know it's ironic to say that in the times that we're in but there's a hidden pandemic that's that that is sweeping this country um and certainly the rest of the uk and that that's problem gambling you know it's enticing a younger age group uh, mainly through its methods of advertising um you know you my view on it is that the football world needs huge support in this country to to facilitate and help problem gamblers and i know that people will say and, I, and i'm the first to admit i take full responsibility for my actions you know no one made me go in and place that bet that day but when I was putting thousands upon thousands of pounds through betting company accounts, there was not one time did I, you know, get sent an email to say, look, we're going to ban you for an X amount of time or give you a relief period because you've deposited a lot of money. Um, I deposited 40,000 pounds in an account over 12 days. And, you know, at the end of that 12 days, they didn't they didn't come to me and say, is everything OK? They, they sent me a free bet for 100 pounds at that time to try and get me back in because I didn't deposit on the 13th day. So. There's a lot of work needs done with these companies. We need to, you know, the, the government, I think, need to take control and, and look at regulations and how can we change them to, to help younger people. And there's the, the, you talk about there being an issue with, within football with gambling, but I think football has a, has, a, has, a, has an addiction too because they rely so heavily on the gambling sponsorships. The You know, the clubs, you only have to sit and watch a Premier League game to see the clubs being sponsored, having official betting partners um advertisements through the game on the pitch side um and then when they, when you go away from that they 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 have stadiums named after them training grounds named after them so it's a major issue um 
I think it's one that we can certainly do a lot more to raise awareness of and, and to help people out there who are really struggling. Yeah, I mean, it used to be a case that, you know, cigarette companies and everything, they sponsored sports. I mean, and and it was deemed at the time that, you know, how are things going to operate without without huge companies like that? But they did, you know, they adjusted. And I, and I believe that there's a group of MLAs that have come together now that are trying to push legislation through to change the gambling laws in Northern Ireland. I mean, Northern Ireland has... I think the highest um, rate of suicide through gambling addiction out of in in all of the UK. Um, so it's obviously a huge, huge problem, um, and it certainly looks like you know they're starting to address it. Do you think? I think we've made we've made massive strides. I think there's there's obviously a lot more to go. I think if you you look at the changes in the FOBT um, machines reducing from a hundred pound stake to two pound last April was a huge, a huge step. It was well overdue. Um, you know, for me, they were like, you know, in drug terms, they were like the crack cocaine because it was a hundred pound every twenty seconds. You know, it was three hundred pound a minute. I was gambling on them, and it was simply just to get, just to get that fix. You know, I didn't care whether it won or lost. I just I just wanted to get it done and, and obviously once that first hundred pound bet was placed it was get on to the next one and the next one and the next one. So there was great strides made there and, and as you say there is a group of MLAs that have that have started um some fantastic work in Stormont. Um it's something I've been asked to get involved in, which I can't wait to sort of get involved with that to try and push through change and hopefully we can see, you know, more positive strides made in the in the coming weeks and months and, and however long it takes to get this stuff through because it's it's as you said suicide in terms of addiction gambling is right at the top and it seems you know unfair i think we've through cigarettes we've we've obviously tackled that you know they can't advertise on, on tv anymore they can't really advertise anywhere and even on your cigarette packets the dangers are there but you know we have kids that at some as young as eight and nine who will watch a premier league game on on, on any of our tv channels and be inundated with with gambling ads um, by companies that I, I fully understand they they're saying you can't gamble until you're 18 but for me you know them seeds were planted in my head at 11 12 13 um, and I was just almost counting down the days until I was able to to go and have an online account um, and that was that was well after being able to place a bet in the boogies yeah and I mean you know you'd say well parents parents can't even monitor their kids right even if you're you're 18 and but Apart from that, you know, everybody has a smartphone. They have smartphones a lot younger than that. You know, so this is not even going to be an age-related thing. Like, younger kids have have the access and the availability. So it really is a, a sort of a silent problem. People talk about, you know, drug addiction and alcohol and everything. But this really is, as you say, it's a pandemic. And a lot of sports people are starting to come out and speak about it. But do you think that, um, particularly for, for men who play sports... Uh, for young men who play sports, is there any um, is there any way that it could be sort of an outlet? Because you know the way, like if you're playing competitive sports and your mates are all going out at the weekend and going off to the pub or something, is it sort of an ad- adrenaline rush or something that might start people getting involved? Could that be something to do with it? I think, I think that I think yeah, it's a very valid um, way of looking at things. I think you know when we when we speak about previous professionals you know I, I, I speak about paul merson a lot because i've read a lot of his books in recovery and i take you know great you know advice from some of the words that he's came up with but he often described you know playing in front of 40 and fifty thousand fans every week 
and then suddenly that stops do you know and, and you have to then he was somebody that needed that every minute of his life he needed the adrenaline the rush that he got from that he needed every minute so um you know from that point of view i can see where where sports people you know who are who are dedicated to their sport and who do reasonably well and well will fall back on gambling because it's something that that can give you that high that maybe can't be experienced anywhere else i just feel in this country we've you know we've got a culture that especially in semi-professional circles and in our local leagues a culture where you know our players work hard all week and some of them at the minute i think gambling is seen as a and it's normal in, in society to to let your hair down at the weekend and and have a bet and and that's fine some people can do that um you know i'm certainly not anti-gambling in any way um but my my point i would say on that is that there's people out there who can't do that and there's people out there who then will go home and create an online account and sit from the sunday right through to the friday night again um until they meet up with their teammates on a saturday for a game and they they will bet all week um it won't just be that maybe game of cards at the weekend or or that team bet that they do um it'll carry on into to every day of their life and that's how addiction you know takes over so yeah, I think there's there's an area of, of within sports adrenaline and how it, um, you know how people try to get that that feeling. You know, a, a striker like I was who, I love scoring goals. There's nothing better. Um, but it got to the point where the feeling of of me watching a, a dog come out of a trap was would give me more joy than what it would if I was if I was scoring any goal at any league. I would imagine. Yeah, but it's not real joy. Obviously, it's um, you know, it's depression. I would, I would say, it, does the depression precede the gambling, or is it? Does it bring it on, or do they feed each other, or you know? I think, I think, you know, obviously, everyone has a maybe a different view on it. For me, um, I wouldn't say I was depressed. You know, I, I, the highs that I had when I was gambling were the amount of money that I could get um on a bet. It wasn't, you know, some gamblers it can be the amount that they win um for me it was just the amount almost i was losing uh, the more i money i could lose the better i almost felt because it was almost me feeding my ego that i could actually afford to be staking this money or, or seen and convince myself to to be affording to stake this money you know um it was a couple of days after i had placed a hundred pound bet that i wanted to place a 500 pound bet that was the next thing and once i placed a 500 pound bet i thought well what would it feel like to place a thousand pound bet um, and suddenly that transpired to a case of what's it like to place a £10,000 bet. So, you know, the, the stakes for me just kept getting higher and higher. And, and I suppose the depression for me kicked in last year, this time last year, last summer. And, and that was mainly because I didn't have access to that amount of cash anymore. Uh, financially, I'd, I'd ruined myself. Um, you know, nobody would have trusted me with, with open, I couldn't open a bank at the time. No one would trust me to open a bank. I couldn't get any more payday loans. I couldn't get any more credit cards. I didn't have access to the high amounts of cash that I had access to previously. So every time, I suppose, before that, that I would have lost money, I could easily log on to the internet, get another payday loan of four or five thousand pound at ridiculous interest rates, and that sort of feeling didn't let me get too down because I knew there was another four or five grand coming. Where I suppose, um, in the end, um, you know, I was gambling twenty pounds, thirty pounds stakes the money had well reduced because I didn't have access to huge amounts anymore um and I think that's what really brought on the depression was uh, I was allowed to get lower because of that and, and I just couldn't then function day to day and I think certainly in the last three or four months of my gambling I just seen that it controlled me it controlled me in every single way it controlled what time I got up at what time I went to bed at it controlled um my mood on that particular day who maybe friends I was meant to meet or or 
sometimes in work the people the way i spoke to people was was dependent on how my my gambling had went on a break time or a lunch time and um you know it just got to the point where it controlled me in every way and, and the depression i think was a was a side effect of that so i do think they're they're massively linked um i think their mental health and, and gambling in particular there's a you know we just have to look as you've said previously with the suicide rate being so high for addiction and, and in particular gambling so you know the, the, the two of them go hand in hand and i think that's what hopefully the, the mlas and the people responsible for changing the laws in this country particularly can look at the stats and the statistics and hopefully that will force through a change because because something's needed we can't continue going the way we are you know it's 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 previously people thought it was all men the amount of people i've spoke to in the last week who are who are women who are really struggling who are young women older women young men older men um parents who are now worried about their kids because at a young age they can they can log on to a playstation and and in some of the games you know we take fifa where we can buy player packs which uh, essentially on, on on ultimate team which are essentially 100 to 1 bets of getting a, a player i think it's over 82 rated so that again is planting a seed for a kid and, and how long will that you know that that innocent pack of cards that they're getting how long will that fulfill um the need and maybe when they turn 16 17 that they feel they need to go to the boogies and, and get that rush from from a bet and then obviously with, with the online aspect it can just completely take over yeah it's sort of like subliminal advertising isn't it it's like get the children get them when they're young you know and drag them in and but in terms of, um, I know you've spoken now about the MLAs getting involved and trying to get things done politically, but um, you speaking out and people like you speaking out, is there has there been up to this point, do you think, like a stigma around, um, around gambling and stuff like that, that more people need to come out and speak and op- open up about it and that might make things a lot easier because there are so many people that must be in the same situation that... And and I know you said that a lot of girls have it and a lot of women have it, you know, have pro- have problems. But um, I think with with men in particular, they you know they tend to not talk as much about their feelings and they kind of bottle things up inside. And you know, do you think you know you opening up and people like you opening up will make a, a big difference? I think the reason I'm I'm doing what I'm what I'm doing uh, is because I want the people, I want men, and I, I want everyone. But I feel that we as men have this stigma attached rightly so that we don't like to speak about our feelings we're quite closed books um and i have been for for seven years you know people no one knew about my gambling nobody knew the extent that brought me to um and how close i was to to not being here so you know we, we become as men very very good at hiding our emotions so i feel by me coming out you know i'm hoping that some other people can open up and we can just put the conversation of gambling out there in society make it normal to talk about it day to day how are people feeling you know how are you going with your gambling how you know if and i get that people will be able to gamble day to day and do so responsibly um but let's just create that conversation and check in on people you know if you do know someone who is who does like a, a better whatever check in on them see how they feel you know are, are they are they doing okay because i know some of the people that i've spoke to in the last couple of weeks some of which are really struggling and, and you wouldn't know that they were struggling either so there's definitely a stigma attached to i think mental health um in general in the country i think uh, men speaking out about how they feel and i think that gambling is you know it falls into that sort of as i call it a hidden illness in terms of it's not it's not something that you can 
easily point out in someone um if someone has a, an alcohol addiction or, or a drug addiction physically their appearance over time will, will drastically change um speech might become slurred or whatever so there's ways of identifying that i think with a gambler you're someone you're talking about someone who doesn't have to leave the comfort of their own sofa at home to really cause harm um and, and nine times out of ten they'll get up in the morning and they'll, they'll head to their go about their day as normal um and, and nobody will really nobody will really notice so there, there's definitely a stigma there it's something i think that we need to try and denormalize in society if you like um you know it's it's something that we've got to get talking about and, and particularly in our football clubs and our changing rooms it's you know it's something that is almost seen as to fit in i think people feel that they have to do it they have to do a bit on a saturday um and it's something i think we need to move away from because we've got a young generation coming in now who have been uh, brought up in that technology era if you like um and we're gonna we're gonna possibly present huge issues to them if, if we don't change that yeah it's um you know it's well i think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing i really do you know um in terms of your own personal relationships like you say that nobody noticed or nobody knew at some point like your family you, you spoke about your girlfriend earlier did they intervene or you know when things started to become apparent that you had you had an issue so yeah for me um my girlfriend actually found um my online banking um a couple two and a half years ago now um and, and came to me about it and, and had seen at that point you know forty thousand pounds in in payday loan debt and you know amounting up we were we were not far off the six figure sum in terms of what i've what i've lost so that became all apparent when we went through bank statements um and obviously my close family were made aware um, and they all try to help. You know, they all try to get me on the right path. I went to Gamblers Anonymous meetings. I promised to change. I promised that I would fix myself, uh, try and get myself sorted. But looking back now, I, I truly didn't want help then. Um, I was probably more frustrated that I'd been caught. I wasn't sorry for the damage that I, I caused. I was, I was just sorry because I'd been caught. So for six months, I, five, six months, I, I sort of appeased them. I went to meetings or I told them I was going to meetings and maybe not going in some nights to the meeting, coming home and telling them that, you know, as a gambler, if you if you go to these meetings for six months, then you're you're, you're cured. So I was almost putting a, a time limit on, on uh, how long it would take me to heal myself. So after six months, then um, I'd convinced them. I, I've worked in sales um, in my early business career and then moved into service lately but I, I've been a salesman so I could always talk to people and could always you know sort of always sell so I was able to convince family very very easily um, that it was six months and that was me cleared I didn't have to go to the meetings anymore and, and I could start getting you know hold of money again being trusted with cash um, and telling people yeah that no feelings of gambling and, and really all I was doing was just waiting biding my time to to get back at um, in the bookies um i became really frustrated just that i wasn't able to get in there and you know smell the place and stupid things like the free coffee and all that really got to me um and that's when i that's when i really went back i obviously went back gambling people sometimes will say they'll go back gambling after a time off harder i couldn't because i didn't have access to the huge amounts of cash that i had access to previously so it was really just money that i'd banked up or was able to get a little bit of cash here and there um and i was using it uh, and obviously within three, four months, the, the, the mental health side of it really hit home. So yeah, the, everyone, they had their suspicions. But I think as compulsive gamblers and anyone who, who out there who is a compulsive gambler will be able to relate because you become very, very quickly, you become not just a compulsive gambler, but a compulsive liar. You become very, very good at lying and deceiving people. So 
you know, I was I was deceiving people left, right, and center. I've told probably I was telling that many lies at the time that even when I told the truth, I had to to ask myself, was it the truth? Because I just told that many lies. You tell that many different stories to different people that you get confused about what stories you've told people. And yeah, you just live a deceptive a deceptive lifestyle. That's just how it works as a compulsive gambler. And I suppose for me, it was it was getting out every morning and just making sure I could get into the bookies was the only thing that I cared about. Um, and doing it secretly was the was the, was the main thing for me. And then you say that you um, tried to commit suicide. Um, what what prompted that? I mean, how 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 bad did it get to the point that you came to that? It sort of sort of um started off quite small in terms of my mental health i had i was aware that i had some social anxiety for quite some time i struggled to you know if i, if I seen people i went to school with previously or, or ex-friends in town i would walk on the other side of the street or just put my head down and walk past them um i was aware that maybe people had this perception of me as a as a sort of a big man if you like you know i was sort of too cool for school that sort of way um and it wasn't it was just purely a, a real social anxiety that that over time within the space of of the start of last year the start of 2019 and uh, once we get to sort of april time really became like a paranoia where i was convinced everybody i spoke to knew that i was a gambler knew about all the money problems knew about the lies i told i i became convinced they were going to tell my family i became convinced they were going to drop me in it if you like so um i started to recluse from society in general i started working from home a lot more i started not going to the hairdressers i used to get my hair cut every two weeks um i just let it grow because i couldn't i couldn't face sitting in that chair for for half an hour 40 minutes and having a discussion general chit chat because i was convinced they knew all about me so that then slowly snowballed into a a deep depression where i didn't want to leave the house in general um and anytime i did it was maybe to to get on the train to go to work i work in belfast so i was getting on the train to go to work um which was really painful because you're sitting on a train in the mornings with maybe 200 people on the train and i was convinced they were all talking about me the reason i had the earphones in was because i was there and they couldn't bear to speak to me and yeah it just slowly got to the point where you know and it's worth remembering at this at this time i was still gambling every day you know i'd still religiously be standing in the boogies in belfast at lunchtime at the end of my working day or break time or any chance i got i'd have been standing in the boogies so that was almost like a release uh, this depression had built up i slowly became it became apparent in my own head that you know i i destroyed everything um my thoughts had run away with themselves. I got into a really, really dark place, a place that I really never, ever want to go to again. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Um, you know, the thoughts, sitting in my own living room at night, um, really just scared about what the couple of hours that lay ahead because I knew I wasn't going to sleep, um, which partly is why I started drinking heavily just so I could try and pass out and get to sleep for the night. But yeah, yeah it, it, it just slowly crept up until October and, and around the start of October time, October 19, I, I made a decision that it was like, right, I'm going to give life a good go here for eight weeks, uh, 48 weeks. And if it doesn't work out, I'm, I'm going. And that, that, that's just the way I live for the next sort of six weeks. Uh, I just try to convince myself that life was good, that it was normal to be a compulsive gambler and be out of control. And for this addiction to have control of me, it was normal. Everyone had that issue. Um, you just have to get by, say nothing and get by. Many times I walked locally where I live um, late at night, out loud to myself, walking my dog, saying, I, my life is good, my life is good. 
out loud, the louder I shouted it, the thought the more I could convince myself. And yeah, it just got to the point then at the back end of of November, start of December. Uh, one, on the 1st of December, actually, my girlfriend was working that day and took the day off work and just thought, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. There's no way out. And um, had packed the rope. I was ready to go. Um, I visited family that I hadn't seen for a long time, purely because I'd, I'd reclused away from them again i was convinced they were aware of what was going on i was back gambling um so i never went near them and on that tuesday i went around visited who i needed to visit um, and left this house content that that was it um and i was going and i was was perfectly happy um to be going and on my way out and as i left pulled out of the driveway two dogs around the back started barking They, they never ever bark so I went round and I, and I, I was settled them down again, tried to leave and, and one of them got up on the fence and, and started barking and jumping at the fence. Again, it was totally out of character for them. So I thought, okay, well, look, I'll, I'll bring them with me. So I brought my dogs up. Um, I'd planned up weeks in advance where it was, you know, a forest in South Armagh that I knew would take people a very long time to find me, selfishly. Um, and when I got up there on a cold and wet December night, um, it was really wet actually. Um, pulled up and was just about to get out when I realised that yes I might not be found for a very long time but these dogs are going to be running about on their own um, and it's probably not fair that just because I've been unable to, to live my life that, that they would have to suffer so the plan was to bring them home and, and, and try and get away again quickly um, fortunately looking back now by the time I got home my girlfriend had finished work and was here and I pulled up in the drive and walked in through the front door as if nothing had happened and sat down that evening and had a normal evening like everyone does, watch Netflix, watch what was on TV and try to convince myself that it was just a wee wobble, life was good, it was okay, people do that all the time, they, they feel they're going to end it and the Wednesday, the very next day um, at lunchtime, I was standing the bookies again ready to place a bet on a horse and yeah, for Wednesday and the Thursday of that week, I just convinced myself that, that it was normal again. And then come the Friday, um, had went back to the same bookies that I used in Belfast, which was on a street corner. Um, it's not really one that's well advertised again. It's it's something I just thought people won't recognize me in here. I went in on the Friday with a £10 note and a £5 note. And the plan was to place a bet with the £10, use the £5 to get my lunch. I hadn't really eaten all week with 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 sort of what had gone on and, and for different reasons so i thought i'm going to get myself a good lunch on a friday and i went in and within 10 minutes the 10 pound was gone first race and i found myself writing out a slip for five pound then with a five pound stake at the bottom of it for a for a dog or a horse race and again it was just uh a wash of emotion came over me i started shaking uncontrollably i started crying um, I couldn't stop myself crying. I didn't want to cry in front of people, but I couldn't stop myself. And a, a man from behind the counter came out and, and said, look, why don't you go for a walk? So I left that shop that day and uh, went to Victoria Square, locked myself in the toilets and cried for an hour and just thought, no, this this can't happen anymore. I can't do this. Um, and it was there that I made the decision that the following evening I was going to drink myself into oblivion and, and take the vehicle off the road. And that way I might hit something that, that just finishes it for me. And, you know, it just means that, that I can't back out this time. Once I pull the wheel to one side, that that's it done. And whatever, you know, I'm in um, fate will we'll decide what happens. So, yeah, the Saturday I left here, uh, continued, came home the Friday night. 
Um, got a takeaway as most people do on a Friday evening. Had a really normal Friday evening. My girlfriend just sort of content that I was going the next night and that was the way it was going to be. And Saturday night came. I, I done what I had to. Drank myself into oblivion and took myself off the road um, through a fence and a hedge and, and I came across, hit a tree. Uh, and I, I did black out for a period of time but when I woke up and the airbag had, had sort of went off I was just um, I was crying but I wasn't crying because I was hurt I was crying because I was so ashamed of myself that I just the only thought I had was how can you you're that much of a waste of space and a waste of time that you can't even kill yourself and you've tried it twice now so gambling's ruined your life for seven years you can't even kill yourself so what, what are you going to do in life now because you know you're just useless at everything so yeah and, and obviously what came after that and the legal proceedings um spoke to the police that evening and yeah you know go forward 24 hours on the sunday unsuccessful and another suicide attempt just really waiting for monday morning to come back around so i could could get into the boogies on the monday that was my first thought was um you know if i can convince my family and stuff here that it's just a wee accident or stupid i can get back into the boogies on monday morning um and then that's when i came home my girlfriend then said we'll go out to, to where the crash was and yeah that's when that moment that we spoke about happened where I just I just knew that I had to I had some somebody somewhere was giving me a second chance at life or a third chance at life and I just needed to, to grab it with both hands and, and make a real good good go of it. And you've done that now I mean you're in a fantastic place now by the sounds of things Um, is what would you say to anybody who's in that position I mean that was a really really powerful story you just told there and I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that have felt the same way or are feeling the same way and is there anything that you, you would say to them you know to encourage them to you know choose life I think for me very simply and, and it, it's something that always frustrated me when I was was in that that them deep thoughts was people telling you you've just got to talk you know I, I know how hard it is to talk and to open up um Many times I did think about doing it, but I thought about you know the money that I'd lost, the relationships that I would would lose or I would ruin by coming clean. I just think if anyone out there really is struggling, you know, speak to someone. It doesn't matter who it is. Um, I've always maintained that a problem shared is a problem halved. Doesn't matter who you tell. You know, drop me a message. I'm happy to have a chat. I have done in the last couple of weeks I've had many chats with people who are struggling and it's just I'm just here to listen and you know I don't want anybody to end up where I ended up or worse and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing so you know I know it's so so hard to when people say talk 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 and mental health awareness week is all about talking and that's that's great it's great that we're promoting it that way but it's so hard when you're in that position I know from experience just to talk so we we you know I'm speaking to anybody out there really who's struggling drop me a message we'll have a chat you know, it's completely, you know, make a, a separate profile page, anonymous profile page, call yourself whatever you want and contact me and I'll have a chat with you. Um, you know, there's some great places out there that you can go to, some uh, a great addiction charities that, that will bring you in, that will speak to you, that will offer you guidance and advice. If you don't feel you can open up to your family, but, you know, just don't waste, don't waste your life because, you know, I had so much life to live at 23 and I didn't see it. You know, my life is completely transformed in the last six months. I've found myself. I've started living for the first time since I was 17, 18. I love nothing more than my, my life. It might be boring to some people now, but I absolutely love it. Um, and, and you, if you're in there, if you're out there listening to it, you can be like that too. 
you just gotta you just gotta grab the opportunity that you may have when that thought comes across that you think I'm gonna go help myself go and do it because it's the best decision you'll ever make you have set up a, a Twitter account with what, what's it called uh, so there's a Twitter and an, and an Instagram page actually called Probgam NI so uh, Problem Gambling Northern Ireland Probgam NI for short um, so on there you'll be able to contact me um, send me a direct message on Instagram or Twitter um, and I'll, I'll pick it up I'll have a chat and for anyone in general who's just feeling down it doesn't have to be with addiction or gambling addiction you know just drop me a chat I'm all ears I'll, I'll have a a chat with you and listen if you don't want to have a chat I'm, I'm posting some content on there which is my experiences some of the situations I got myself into um, some of the work I'm doing outside of, of this around um, raising awareness of gambling problem gambling in particular so there's a lot of stuff on there that might benefit you um, you might not need to hear it when you jump on and, and see it at that time or if you do know somebody pass it on um, and again you might not need to hear it at the time of watching it but you might need it at some stage so it'll be worth maybe taking it in well, I think you're doing a fantastic thing, Jamie. Um, and you're only 24 years of age. You've still got your whole life ahead of you. Um, any any football these days or any chance of you getting back playing, even just kicking about? Or Yeah, it's something that I've... Um, something that's hopefully in the pipeline. I was um, 2019 at one stage. I was 21 and a half stone, just through eight and drinking heavily. So I was in no shape to, to do anything. But yeah, at the minute, I'm down to, I think, about 14 and a half, 15 stone at the minute. I might run in regularly with my dog, cycling and getting fit again. So hopefully when, when, when COVID passes and we can all get back out doing what we love, I'd, I'd love to get involved again. You know, it's been a long time. It's something that as a kid I, I loved. And, you know, the feeling for me of just going back to being a kid again and playing without the thoughts of gambling or the thoughts of of what football games are on in the background is would be fantastic. So, yeah, hopefully that can happen in some shape or form. Well, thanks so much for talking to me and I wish you all the very, very best in the future. Thanks very much. Cheers. That was a truly emotive story. But Jamie Smith has given himself and his family plenty to be proud of now. Um, he's living proof that there's always a way back and um, anybody out there who's struggling, don't be afraid to reach out. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join me for the next episode of Arma Eyes Sports Podcast, The Eye on the Ball. Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 223. Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan.